Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte clear liners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you could pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Welcome to One Billion Raving Fans, a podcast from the people at Waitwell. I'm your host, Shannon Bannermulen. I'm fascinated by the art and science of service excellence. Why do some brands have customers who are so loyal that they act like raving fans? Our guests share their perspectives on customer experience and offer tips you can use to create a culture of fandom around your business. Hello, I'm here today with my friend Lisa Genovese from Bottom Line, and we're going to be talking about online reputations and what businesses can do to better manage their online reputation. Lisa, before we dive in, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and what you do at Bottom Line? Sure, I'm, I'm happy to happy to share. So really, bottom line is often get, gets put in the marketing agency category, but we're really more of a market research and strategic planning consultancy first, who has an implementation division that handles marketing activities. And so it's that side of our business as to why we get referred to as a marketing agency, but really believe in using true market research data to inform business decision making and really use that to inform your strategy. Excellent. So why is it important these days for businesses to effectively manage their online reputation? Why does it matter? Oh, such a good question. And I think, you know, the easy answer here is now more than ever, people are looking online for social proof and bad reviews are not a good thing. And if it's, it's not really an if, it's a when you get hit um, and you've got to be prepared to respond when something comes up and, and really have that action plan in place on how you're going to deal with either it be a disgruntled customer or whether it be a negative review, we all have things that happen in our day-to-day business. And I think, you know, it's naive to think, oh, it'll never happen to me. And, you know, more and more, particularly through the last few years where people have spent so much more time with their online purchasing decisions, it's where people go to do their research. Right. So I've been told before that your Google reviews, how many of them you have and how the quality of your of your overall rating affects how easy it is to find you on Google. Is, is that true or is that a, a myth? Oh, absolutely. Google reviews in particular are kind of considered the gold standard um, for reviews themselves. Of course, there's Facebook reviews and so on and so forth, many different platforms. But the thing that um, the people forget is that When it comes to Google reviews and and as it relates to a Google Places listing, Google owns that property. So of course, they're going to give more weight to if somebody's searching, say, on Google Maps and having that result come up with reviews is going to have more weight than other platforms. So yes, absolutely, it affects your search engine ranking. Okay, good to know. So my SEO guy was right. (laughs) <laughs> he was right. <laughs> okay. So you, you talked about managing and you, you talked about, you know, it's not a matter of if it happens, but when it happens. So, you know, let's say I, you know, I own a restaurant 
I had a party that came in. It wasn't a great experience. Um, you know, in this scenario, let's say it actually was a bad experience. You know, the chicken really wasn't cooked properly. And the party wrote a scathing Google review about the the food quality and the service. So as a restaurant owner, what would be your advice in that situation? What sh- how should I handle that? Oh, such a good one. And I think, you know, first step, I'm actually going to back up the bus and tell that restaurant owner, you really want to have that, what I'm going to say, crisis communications plan in place before that ever happens so that you know exactly how you're going to respond and exactly what to say. Because when those things happen, it's high stress and you, there's a lot of emotion that goes into it. And you're more likely to say the wrong thing if you're coming from a place of, you know, emotion. Hence, having that plan in place so, so key. But, uh, you know, when you go to respond the easiest answer is be a human. Make sure that you take responsibility, empathize with the other person, and then try to make it right. Um, so the, the best, you know, responses I see to negative reviews aren't ones that kind of, you know, disregard that there was an issue. Because if there was an issue, there was an issue. Um, instead, accept, you know, accept responsibility and, you know, offer to either have a conversation with that person or try to make it right in some other way. And the reality is this, we're never going to have a perfect track record. There's always going to be something, you know, within its business, sometimes things happen. And so that, you know, accountability piece is going to be huge. And other people, as it relates to reputation management, other people reading that review are going to see that you responded to it as a real human and said, yeah, we screwed up and we're going to try and make that right for you. Instead of coming at it from, you know, either, oh, there was no issue, it's all in your head, or coming at it in a negative way, that's only going to blow back on you further. Right. Okay. Now, what about in a situation where it really didn't happen the way the the person online is portraying it? I've had that experience with one of my businesses before where, you know, they tell a side of the story that doesn't actually include any of the relevant facts. And, you know, like you said, it's really difficult to not react from an emotional place or from a defensive place, especially when, you know, I want to protect my staff. I want to stand up for my staff who didn't actually do anything wrong in that situation. What kind of advice would you give in, in that sort of scenario? Good one. I I would say, usually, again, coming at it from factual truth and try to be kind. And so I have seen many responses handled where they've said, you know what, that's really interesting. And I'm sorry you feel that way. Per our records, we actually don't um, have any record of you ever you know, attending our restaurant or ever purchasing that from us or whatever the case may be. Because I've seen that many times where competitors will do corporate espionage, for lack of better words, will, you know, go and post a nasty review on their, you know, competitors' uh, Google listing. And so, you know, by saying, we're sorry you feel that way, but we've never heard of you before, it then becomes apparent to somebody reading that, that this is probably a phony bony review. The other thing is, is if it's, if it's kind of an he said, she said argument where your your team member, your staff member is saying that didn't happen like at all. And this is actually what happened. Usually I will encourage people to, you know, don't take responsibility for something that you didn't do, but also try to empathize with that other person to say, wow, like, I'm sorry it got taken that way. From our perspective, here is what happened. Bang, bang, bang. And, you know, we'd be happy to have a conversation with you about this offline to help you know, clear up said discrepancy, because then that shows you're, you're willing to take the accountability, you know, should it be needed, but you're also not taking accountability for something you didn't do. Right. Okay. 
So how influential are online reviews actually when it comes to customers choosing businesses to visit? And does it, does it depend on the industry or is it just sort of, are, are there, is there sort of a blanket statement you can make about how, how influential of a factor, you know, a four, 4.3 star review is versus a 3.8 <laughs> star review? Oh, I wish there was a perfect science like that, but there's not as it comes to this stuff. I would say though, online reviews in general, very influential. I think this statistic, and I truthfully would have to go back and pull the actual stat, but I believe it's about 82% of customers or consumers still believe that they should trust an online review, even if it doesn't have a name associated with it, which I find like that's flabbergasting. But industry does affect it a little bit, but not as much as you would think. Of course, you know, when you're looking at B to C, it will influence a purchasing decision much higher than in a B to B setting. But don't kid yourself in a B to B setting, you're still dealing with a human or a person that has emotion, and they are still going to go and do their own research. And so if they're looking at, you know, make, making a large purchasing decision for their business, they are still going to go online and, and I jokingly say creep you. And if there are some things that have been floating around in cyberland that haven't been dealt with, that's going to influence their decision. So B2B decision makers give weight to it too. The only thing I will say is although online reviews are still very influential, um, and I don't want to discount that, it still is no substitute though for word of mouth marketing. And through this last you know, couple of years of the pandemic, it's been interesting to watch what that shift has actually been as it relates to buying behaviors. Um, we just completed a study on that very thing and looked at both B2C buying journeys and B2B buying journeys. And although, you know, online reviews and online research is still a big uh, proponent of buying decisions, word of mouth marketing, there still is no substitute for that. People still go to their friends and say, who do you use for X? Where did you buy why? And I, I think that that is largely here to stay, but I don't think that we can ignore the fact that, you know, online reputation management is still a really big piece. Right. What tools can businesses use to monitor and manage their online reputation? Oh, there's like a plethora of them out there. I personally really like social listening tools. I mean, there are many online reputation management firms that are out there, but I often find that their information isn't, unfortunately, all that credible. I also really like using the share voice tools because that'll at least give you a little bit of a peek into brand sentiment in addition to social listening. So for an example, you know, if you're using certain keyword phrases and you're tracking, you know, are our competitors tweeting about this or are they, you know, posting on Facebook about this, Instagram, so on and so forth. You'll get it, you know, a peek at the conversation that's going on. But the nice thing about, uh, you know, getting brand sentiment is if there's a big spike in negative sentiment, you can actually dig in through some of those really cool, like Sprout Social is an amazing tool for social listening. And you can really dig into the why. Why is that uh, people are reacting negatively to this and Usually you go and look at, you know, five to 10 different posts or tweets and you have a really good idea as to why. And so that can usually tip you off to um, if something's kind of spreading virally very quickly. And you can set yourself alerts on those platforms as well so that you can stay on top of it and kind of, I don't want to say set it and forget it. You certainly have to check it, but you have some, a backstop measure there um, if you okay. miss something. Are you talking about like a, a Google alert, for example, or is, are there more sort of intricate tools than that? 
Awesome question. So yeah, absolutely, Google Alerts would be one thing. Uh, social listening tools, though, specifically, you'll be able to set either a hashtag that you want to track, a keyword phrase that you want to track. Most of our clients will set up branded phrases. So if, for instance, your business, wait well, we can actually track the phrase, wait well, and see how many conversations are going on online as it relates to just your branding. If there is a spike in, in negative sentiment as it relates to your branding, you could set up an alert, you'd know right away. Um, so that's just like a very small, simple example of kind of tools that you can use to monitor reputation management. That's great, Lisa. So what's the best line of defense that a business has to counter the effects of negative online reviews or social media, either an attack at them or some, or just conversations like you're talking about that are happening that might have an impact on their, on their brand? Well, I'm not to keep parroting this, but have a policy and be prepared. Like I can't tell you the number of times I see people caught with their pants down because they didn't have a crisis comms plan in place. And that crisis communications plan is it has to include online these days. You know, it's it's so much bigger than traditional media now, in my own opinion. And I think that crisis comms planning used to be just for the big guys, just for the ones that, you know, there's a BP oil spill and we need to have our talking points, you know, nailed down when we have to give a press conference. And it's... Or a sex really, city character that just had a heart attack. <laughs> exactly. And so it, it's not, you know, it's really not for that. In today's day and age, it is actually dealing more so with on, online reputation management, because if there's something that blows up, it's going to go viral online far before it ever hits the news. And so people really need to start looking at it from that perspective of, what are going to be our responses online for certain different situations and how, like, how are we going to respond? Then at the same time, though, what are going to be our talking points if we have to pivot and shift in the middle of that crisis? Because that's the other thing that I see is, you know, something will happen online. People will respond to it. They'll start to get the fire under control and then it blows out the other side and they aren't prepared for that. So really thinking through what are hazard assessment things that we need to be looking at? How are we going to respond to those things? And then what are some probable, we'll say, left hooks that we need to be prepared for as well? And these things, you know, crisis comms plans also don't need to be super complex. Like they can be a handful of five or six talking points that, you know, key members of your organization are prepared for. And then when it happens, you feel a whole lot more confident and you're not coming from that emotional place because you feel prepared. Right. So what do you think the future holds when it comes to online reputation management? And, you know, where I'm kind of coming from is that 20 years ago, things didn't happen at the kind of warp speed that we're at now. You know, there was such thing as a, you know, as, as a news site, there was an evening paper and a morning paper. And, you know, it feels like people, the organizations might have had more time to prepare for, you know, negative press events, for example. And now it's so much quicker because we have Twitter and things can go viral in under an hour. So do you think that that's going to continue? Do you think there's any sort of appetite for slowing things down? Is there is there any chance that the environment will become sort of more friendly and easier to contain? Oh, I wish I could say yes to that. <laughs> but I, I honestly feel like it, it's going to be a bit of the opposite. So you're absolutely right. Things have definitely ramped up at, as its you know rate of pace um, has just gone quicker and quicker and quicker. And you know to cite back to that study I was talking about, that is actually one of the big things that we saw in consumer buying behavior change is 
yes, the pandemic caused a big shift to online, but it's caused it to go faster and faster. It's almost like just the wheel is spinning quicker and quicker. And so how do we deal with that? Well, I think a couple of things. Yes, the be prepared, but also don't be afraid to slow things down yourself. So it is, yes, of course, when something happens, you absolutely want to, you know, step up, respond right away. However, there's nothing wrong with kind of taking a bit of a pause and giving a more thoughtful response. Um, So if you feel unprepared, it's better to say nothing than it is to say the wrong thing. Just taking your time responding is going to be a big one. I also think too, we're going to see some shifts um, in the future here as it relates to different review platforms. We've had, gosh, probably 80 to 90% of our clients have dumped Facebook this fall. Mm -hmm. Um, And I anticipate there to be more of that coming down the pipeline. It's it's becoming a bit more of a toxic environment than it used to be. Um, yeah. And so I think that we're going to see just the online space in general is going to have a big shakeup over the next year. Mm-hmm. And so out with the, the bad and in with the good is, is what I like to what I like to say. And I think as much as things are moving quickly, it doesn't mean that there won't be improvement uh, through that as well. Right. So, I, I mean, I, I heard about, for example, Lush Cosmetics decided mm-hmm. to stop advertising or being present at all on on Facebook is that what you're talking about yeah that is uh, one good example and I've we have advised many of our own clients have pulled Facebook ads and pulled right off of the Facebook platform for various different reasons mostly because it's unfortunately become become kind of a dumping ground for anything pandemic related and it's also really hard to break through the algorithm with anything that's you know relevant to a consumer unless it's COVID newsworthy, which I don't know about you, but I have better things to spend my time on these days. <laughs> yeah. So, so what's, what's filling the gap then? Where, where are businesses, where are pe- people going? We've had several that have really buckled down on Instagram. So that still seems to be a viable platform. Um, we have had a couple that have uh, shifted a lot of their budgets over to TikTok, um, which I found really interesting. It depends though on the brand because obviously TikTok isn't appropriate for many different brands. We've also seen some uptick on Pinterest of all places. It's kind of been one of these platforms that people have, you know, it was exciting at the beginning and then people ignored it for a little while. And it's actually starting um, from what I can see to come back, particularly for businesses whose audience is female focused. It's been a really big game changer for some of our clients that have a female buying avatar. So be interesting to see where it goes. Mm-hmm. Can you leave reviews on Pinterest? Not to my knowledge, I don't think. So as it relates to, you know, online reputation management, Pinterest, you know, it's going to be more so if somebody shares a pin and puts negative commentary with it, um, that you're going to have to be worried about, as well as obviously you can comment on different boards and pins. Um, And so from a monitoring standpoint, that's where you're going to be paying attention to versus just reviews itself. Right. Okay. So earlier we were talking about responding to negative reviews and, you know, what to do if you have sort of a, you know, a bad news event that's associated with your brand. And, you know, you said the best, obviously, advice is to be prepared for that, to have some talking points prepared. But if you're not to take the time to respond appropriately, how much time is appropriate? I mean, I've I've heard that you should be responding in a very timely fashion, for example, to Google reviews. But, you know, can I take 24 hours? Can I take 48? If I take 48, am I do I seem like I don't care? Yeah. So it, it depends on the nature of the, let's call it a fire. It depends on the nature of the fire. If it is a, 
a really, really big burning fire, you do not want to leave it for 24 hours. Um, you probably only want to leave it for a couple of hours to get your poop in a group. If it's something that like, okay, somebody complained about the chicken being cold at your restaurant, I'd say totally appropriate to leave 24 to 48 hours to craft a response. Whereas if it's a sexual harassment claim at your workplace that is a really, really big fire and it's blowing up all over social media probably wouldn't be appropriate to leave for 48 hours. So it's, you have to use it. It's a bit of a judgment call. There is no, you know, secret sauce or perfect science as it relates to responding, but sometimes it's just thinking it through a little bit and going, okay, well, how big of an impact does this have on the greater world and how quickly will this, you know, spread and how also how detrimental could this be to our brand? And I think, you know, the, the former example I gave is a whole lot worse than, you know, some cold chicken cold at a chicken, restaurant. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it does sort of put things into perspective. So we talked about earlier about online reputation management tools and, you know, shared voice tools and listening. I think you call them listening tools. What about platforms which are sort of allow you to reach out to customers to solicit reviews? Is that something that you think is a good idea or should businesses maybe steer clear of that? That's a good one. And I think it really depends on your brand. So we have a couple of clients that do use platforms like that, and it works very well for the nature of their business. So I'm going to give an example. We work with a debt solutions company that's based here in Calgary, and they have offices across the country. And for them, you know, asking for a review in person is actually quite uncomfortable given the nature of their business. And so it's like a text message service that sends out to the person after they've left the office asking if they would leave an anonymous review so they don't have to post with their name. That has has been wildly successful for them. They were having no success asking in person because it was uncomfortable for the person on the other end of it. So I, I think it really depends on, like I say, the, the nature of your business. And you, know, you have to think through how is that going to be perceived by your end customer? You know, for instance... You know, if you're a renovation company, you probably are going to want to ask for that in person versus sending just like a, a text request because it's a more personalized service. You, It's a higher ticket item as well. Um, so they've made a big investment with you, probably built you know a longstanding relationship uh, with your business. And so those are ones that are probably more appropriate to steer clear of an automated platform. Right. So it's a bit of a, it depends answer truthfully. Yeah. So so you touched on another point, which is that, you know, it can be in some situations awkward to ask for the review. In some cases, I feel like it can be awkward to ask for the feedback because, hmm. you know, in, in some cases, we're Canadians, we're very polite, we don't like to say anything negative. But, you know, I'm also an honest person. And so if you ask me how the chicken was, I'm going to feel like I need to tell you how the chicken is. And, you know, in, in some cases, maybe we don't want to hear the negative feedback. Same thing when it comes to asking for testimonials. Testimonials are really important for the website, for social media, because they tell, you know, a, a bigger story, right? It's not just a two or three sentence review, but it tells sort of a story about what was the problem? How did this, how did the solution address the problem? What have, what have been the results? Do you have any advice for organizations that really want to sort of get that in-depth case study or testimonial from their customers, but they're a little bit afraid to ask? Totally. So the first thing is, is remember that psychologically, when you ask someone for a favor, they actually like you more. 
There's so much study to show that that's a, that is actual fact. And I think the other big piece of advice is, so of course, don't be afraid to ask because they're going to like you more because they feel like they're doing you a favor. The other thing though, is make it easy for them. So, so many people, particularly as it relates to, you know, service-based businesses, they will say, oh, could you write me a testimonial? And that any customer or client, they're busy, they're probably stressed out, they probably just it's overwhelming for them to come up with something nice to say. And so if you can make their life easy to say, hey, can we get on a call for five minutes? I'm going to ask you two questions that you can verbally answer. I'm going to craft that into a testimonial and send it back to you to either approve or make adjustments to. You've now solved your problem and theirs of, of making this stressful for them. Keep it simple and make it easy for the other person is you're more likely to have success. Right. And you let them know exactly what they're agreeing to. So they know what to expect and what their time commitment is going to be. Absolutely. And and Amazing. again, like keep it brief. So if you say, hey, can we have an hour call to go through? They're going to be like, I don't have time for that. But if it's literally five minutes, two questions, and make sure you record that call so that you can actually capture what exactly they said, because you won't be able to write as fast as they can talk or type as fast as they can talk, you probably walk away with some gold nuggets. Fantastic. That's great advice. I'm still blown away by the whole people like you more when you ask them for favors. That's, that's <laughs> going to change my whole life now. <laughs> uh, that's a fun one. Awesome. So just, just to sort of in closing, Lisa, you shared so much great information here. For small and medium business owners, a lot of the times they don't have, you know, a team of people, they might not be able to, to afford to sort of outsource an agency to help them with online reputation management. There's so many platforms, you know, as you know, we talked about Google a lot, it's the big one. But you know, there's also there's Yelp, and there's Bing, and there's Facebook, and there's, you know, so many places that people can go to talk about you online. What advice would you give for a small business? They don't have a budget to outsource an agency. They don't have a you know, budget to bring it in-house and, and hire somebody whose job this is. So, you know, it's something that I need to be able to do in sort of, you know, one hour a week. Where would you tell me to spend my time? So the first thing I'd say, keep it really simple, but don't ignore it. Don't put it on the back burner and think, oh, this is just one more problem I don't need to deal with. And and likely if, if budget and time is a constraint, set up a, a simple Google alert for your brand name. That is at the very least, you're going to get an email when somebody has posted something about your business and you could spend, you could have it go into a folder in your inbox and literally once a week you spend an hour sifting through those and make sure that there's nothing that you have to deal with. It's of course not as timely um, as a monitoring tool, but it's better than doing nothing. That's fantastic. Lisa, thank you so much for sharing all of your experience here. It's been really insightful. Thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was fun. Thanks for listening to 1 Billion Raving Fans. If you enjoyed listening, please follow or subscribe and tell a friend. Visit www.waitwell.ca to download a tip sheet you can use to create 1 billion raving fans for your business. Produced and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network.
or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network.